the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed, and a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. We're underway at eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Thursday, the seventh morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Coming up in an hour, we're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, who reflects on the Roe versus Wade decision in a way that people really haven't. This is so much more, Dr. Piper says, and he has written in his uh, Washington Times uh, article, his column, this is so much more than a political victory. In fact, this isn't about politics at all. Dr. Piper wrote a piece for the Washington Times explaining what this, what this issue is really all about, and we're going to talk to him about that coming up, among other things, at 1010 this morning. Dr. Piper is my only guest this morning, so I've got plenty of opportunities for you to get in on the action at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. we got a lot of important audio to listen to. we got a lot of things to break down and analyze, and I certainly welcome your analysis and your opinion on all of those. So before we get started with the top news of the day, which involves Joe Biden's disastrous visit to Cleveland, Ohio yesterday, I'm going to ask you to stand as a patriot always does and face your flag as we begin our program 
with our pledge of allegiance to this great country. If you are in that, or were rather, in that Biden support audience yesterday at Max Hayes High School, if you are a believer that what he is doing with his 30% approval rating is still good for this country, if you think that the United States of America is headed in the right direction, then you don't understand the United States of America. And you have no respect whatsoever for the flag and what those stars and stripes represent. And what I'm saying is, is, if you believe in Biden, you are indeed exempted from this request. You're welcome to do it, but you're exempted from this request to stand and pledge your allegiance. If you're more comfortable, go ahead and go over and have a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Rudderless, aimless, and hopeless. Is that the plight of the American middle class right now, or is that the Biden presidency? Well, the answer is really both. That was actually a line, that was a headline uh, on Breitbart, and it was a pretty good description of where the Biden presidency is, particularly among his fellow Democrats, the people who elected him, or the people who worked and conspired somehow to make him president. I've got to be careful how we phrase things around here, because I want to be accurate. He wasn't elected, at least not legitimately. But at any rate, the radical left is impatient. They're growing very impatient and very angry with Joe Biden, criticizing him for his timid leadership when they want him to be a flame-throwing socialist. Instead of being a calm and working-behind-the-scenes socialist, they want him to be a flame-thrower. Radical Democrats have aired grievances that Biden, quote, isn't acting with or perhaps is even capable of the urgency the moment demands, end quote to reshape this nation. Rudderless, aimless, and hopeless, one member of Congress described the White House to CNN. Camille Rivera is a Democrat strategist, told Politico that Biden is missing an opportunity to change America. Now I'll stop there for the obvious reason. This is what I've been discussing at some length and in some depth over the course of the last few weeks. A reminder that what Joe Biden is trying to do is exactly that, to change America, in exactly the way that his former boss, the number one on the ticket, uh, Barack Obama, declared a fundamental transformation or changing of America. And according to these Democrats, it's just not happening fast enough. And I'll say this about that. They're right. From their vantage point, from their view, and in their agenda, With all of that being under consideration, they're right to be upset that Biden isn't being more brazen because they know that he only has a few short months left to institute all of the radical changes that they want to see. Because come November, it's all over. Come November, a time for reckoning will be here. And there will be a reckoning as the American people suffering and struggling and acknowledging to the tune of 88% that say that the country is headed in the wrong direction, 70-plus percent or 70% say that the Biden administration is doing a horrible job at, uh, at running this country and helping the American people, the American middle class, and so forth. 
the, look, the, the, the Democrat support for Joe Biden is gone because they know that soon they are gone. He has to get all of this done in July or in August or in September or in October because he won't have a Democrat majority in either branch or either chamber of Congress very, very soon. That's why they're livid. That's why they're calling him rudderless, aimless, and hopeless. And I think, to be quite frank and honest, they're right. There isn't a direction. There isn't any hope because he has no answers for something that he doesn't want to address. Think about the difficulty that Biden is facing here. He is committed to a socialist transformation, the one that was started by his old boss, as we noted. He is committed to satisfying the green, I call them gangrene, the gangrene or Green New Deal supporting socialists in the Democrat Democrats' far left wing because they're the ones who put him there. They're the ones who said, you know, we have nobody who can beat Donald Trump. Everybody else is too radical. He's at least, he at least looks moderate. We'll sell them on, uh, sell the American people on his moderate, uh, 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 reputation, but then we'll force him to, to become more extreme and more radical and more leftist. So they're, they're looking at the guy and they recognize that he has absolutely no plan to, to fix things that he intended to break. And he's got to find a better way of putting a, well, lipstick on this pig. Perhaps is the best way to say it. In other words, imagine how difficult it is for Biden to try and appear as though he cares about the American people when what is being done to the American people is what he planned, or at least his movement planned, from the beginning. Does that make sense? I want to start with Cleveland. Yesterday, Joe Biden, of course, came to town. Joe Biden came to town with a story to tell, and he wasn't going to let the facts get in the way of his story. He wasn't going to let what he said on the campaign trail get in the way of the new narrative now that he is struggling to hold on to his presidency. He's less than two years in. He won't be two years in until January. That's 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 like an eternity from now. In just a year and a half, he has lost the support of his Democrat base because everything is going exactly according to plan. Do you understand the complexity of that? He's doing what they wanted him to do and they made him promise to do when he ran for president. And because of that, everything is going to garbage. And now he's unable to um, clarify a message that says everything is going to be okay. Keep us in power. It's, it's like, it's like the ultimate, um, three card Monty trick, really. I mean, you can't follow it. You just cannot follow the cards you're looking for. He promised to destroy the American energy industries. Promised. I've played this to you literally every day. And if you're getting sick of hearing it, I do apologize, but it is important that I play this for you every single day so you know that what's happening to gas prices, what's happening to energy, what's happening in this country to the middle class with inflation was all part of the plan. All of it. It was articulated from the campaign trail, or at least from a couple of debates, because he wasn't on the trail very much. He pretty much called a lid on every day at about 1 p.m. and stayed in the basement for the entirety of his campaign. But when he did get out and managed to speak, the things that he said were very, very plain and very obvious. My plan is to destroy the American energy industry 
so that we can rebuild it with my far-left basis dreams of a Green New Deal, of everything being green and clean, everything being about solar and wind and hydro, and, and we're not going to touch any more coal, we're not going to touch any more natural gas, we're not going to drill for any more oil, we're not going to frack, we're not going to uh, use nuclear power, we're going to do everything clean and green because that's what my uh, base wants. So the plan was to destroy this country uh, from literally attacking its energy, its lifeblood. And now that it's literally being carried out, the American people are going, hey, this sucks. Uh, 70, over 70% of the people disapprove of this. Over 88% of the people say we're going in the wrong direction. And he's got to find a way to say, no, no, it's, it's going to be better. And we're going to transition. It's an incredible transition, but we're going to have to we're going to have to deal with this uh, unpleasantness until you know for however long it takes, for however long it takes to, of course, what did his aide say a couple of days ago, to uh, advance the liberal world order. Imagine the complexity of this. He's doing what he said he would do, which is destroying the country by way of its energy and its inflation, just completely crushing the middle class to the point where they will say uncle and do whatever he tells them to do with respect to EVs, etc. So he's doing what he promised he would do. The American people are suffering through it. The American people are complaining about it. And he knows that he's a year and a half into his presidency, and he's got no hope whatsoever of re-election. His own party is telling him, get out of the way. You can't run again. You are a disaster. Even though he's doing their bidding, it's just so impossible to wrap your brain around. But in Cleveland, Ohio, he came yesterday trying to sell his story that what he has done has been working for the country. He says, and by the way, before I give you this clip, before I give this clip, you know what? It's 920. Let me take this time out. Let me give you this clip after this time out because I want you to understand I got two clips, in fact, from his speech yesterday at Max Hayes High School in Cleveland. And we're going to dissect every single word of it. And I'm going to welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. we got a lot to do this morning. Join me. Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. On Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 923. You know, I, I like metaphors, um, and, and I oftentimes can come up with them on the fly. But on the fly or pre-planned, I cannot come up with a metaphor to describe or to really uh, explain the impossible task before Joe Biden right now, because he ran on destroying the fossil fuel energy industry. He is carrying that out. It is crushing Americans. Americans angrily are crushing Biden in the polls. And Biden has to find a way to go back to the people and say, um, sorry about what's happening to you right now, but I'm not changing a thing. And finding a way to blame other people. It's just such an impossible thing. How do you placate an angry populace that you have intentionally harmed because of your promise to your, your party and to your radical left-wing uh, climate alarmist base in, in destroying what, what makes their lives run. It's just such an impossible thing. I'm, I'm trying to think of a metaphor uh, that I could use to explain this, and I can't. And I'm usually pretty good at that. So let's just let Joe Biden do the talking now. This is uh, Joe Biden yesterday, clip number one in Cleveland. You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected, a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it, millions of people out of their jobs, families and cars, remember, backed up for literally miles waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. Just a box of food to be put in their trunk because they didn't have enough to eat. 
All right. Let's just let's just do this bit by bit. A country in a pandemic with no real plans to get out of it. What plan has he introduced since he has taken over? He's been there for a year and a half now to get out of it. What plan did he put in place? What did he implement? The plan to get out of it under Biden is the same plan to get out of it that was there under Trump. And that is get these quote-unquote vaccines uh, put out as quickly as possible. Even though the long-term damage and side effects are unknown, we're going to put them out under emergency authorization as quickly as possible. That was, that was Trump's plan, and that was Biden's plan. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed except that we know how dangerous the drugs are now to an extent and what the real adverse events of them are. And we also know that herd immunity is the only real answer for getting out of the pandemic. Joe Biden hasn't done a doggone thing differently than Trump did. Nothing. Put as many arm, shots in as many arms as possible. Tell the people that they're safe and effective. Tell them that they're vaccines when they're not really vaccines. Tell them this will, uh, won't immunize them. Lied to them before, by the way, saying this would immunize them. Biden said it. If you take these, uh, these shots, you won't get COVID. He had no plan. None whatsoever. Families and cars backed up literally miles, he said, waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. And that's because so many of them were put out of work. Why were they put out of work, Joe? Let's let's pick it up there. Previous administration lost more jobs on its watch than any administration since Herbert Hoover. That's a fact. All based on failed trickle-down economics that benefit the wealthiest Americans and hit the middle class and working people the hardest. It is impossible for me to understand how he can stand in front of an audience and say those things into to a microphone when it is so easily, clearly disprovable. Because the previous administration set records for unemployment rates uh, being the lowest in history or in decades for all Americans, for black Americans, for Hispanic Americans, for female Americans, for disabled Americans. The previous administration did the most remarkable job with the economy and with job growth that we have seen literally in decades. The only time jobs were lost was in 2020 when Democrat governors and Democrat leaders all over the country started locking down their populations, forcing businesses closed. People like Mike DeWine. When I say Democrat governors, yes, I am including Republican Mike DeWine. Shutting down businesses, declaring only, only certain businesses as being worthy of staying open. Certain people worthy of going to their jobs. Essential businesses were allowed to stay open. Everybody else was shut. And yes, people were laid off in record numbers. That's not on the other administration's watch. That's on Democrat governors, primarily, overreacting and shutting down their economies. And you want to blame this on failed trickle-down economics? Did he really say that? He did, because he's got nothing else. But we came in with a fundamentally different economic vision, an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. It's good for everyone, because when the middle class does well, the poor of a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. (laughs) We came in (laughs) with a fundamentally different economic vision, one that's good for everyone, because the middle class does well, the poor have a ladder up and the wealthy still do well. Well, I ask you, middle class America, are you doing well? 
What do you say, Mom, Dad? Are you doing well? At five bucks a gallon, are you doing well? At 15% inflation, are you doing well? As everything that you have saved for is being wiped out in the, in this, in the uh, stock market, as the Dow crashes, as your investments, your retirement accounts shrivel up and die, are you doing well under the Biden economic plan? He came to Cleveland yesterday to sell an economic plan that is an abject, unmitigated, 100% failure. And while he was here, he wanted you to know that it's not his fault. While simultaneously condemning the last administration, which did it right, praising his own administration, which is doing it wrong, he still managed to try to find something to blame for the reality that we are all facing. here is so important. Let me close with this. We made incredible progress on the economy from where we were a year and a half ago. We got a long way to... Every single economic expert in America, left-wingers, right-wingers, moderates, every economic uh, economic analyst is saying we're headed to a recession. And he's bragging about incredible progress from where we were a year and a half. We're on our way to a recession. Our economy is shrinking. By GDP, it's shrinking. And he's bragging about the progress we've made. Hold the music. We got a long way to go because of inflation, because of the, I call it, the Putin tax increase. <laughs> Putin because of gasoline and all that grain he's keeping from being able to get to the market. Now I'm fighting like hell to lower costs on things that you talk about around your kitchen table. Are you fighting like hell to lower the cost of gas, Joe Biden? Are you fighting like hell to lower the cost of gas by ramping up the production of the fuels and the the commodities that we need by ramping up the production of oil, by ramping up the production and the exploration and the fracking for natural gas, by ramping up our coal production. Are you are you fighting like hell to lower our energy costs by encouraging our energy suppliers to increase production? Are you really, Joe? You don't have to agree, but I want you to look in my eyes. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? I'll be right back. Delivering you from the depravity of the radical left. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Onward and upward, 938. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So I, I just, I'm just i going to ask you point blank, middle class America, middle class Ohio, middle class Northeast Ohio, my middle class listeners. By the way, if you're upper middle class, good for you. If you're below middle class, I hope it gets better. Uh, I am talking to everybody. But since Joe Biden specifically is trying to tell you that um, his policies are good for the middle class, that this economy is growing because of the great work that's being done for the middle class, I am asking you this question. If you're a middle-class American, and whether you're working or whether you're a retiree as a middle-class American, it doesn't really matter to me. Are you in a better position economically and financially today? And I want to, actually, let me back that up because I don't want to stop with economics and financials. That's what 
Biden is talking about here is he blames Vladimir Putin for his own personal plan to increase gas prices by cutting and shutting down the the production and the drilling and exploration for the above. Um, Economically and financially is only part of it. Educationally and culturally. So I'm going to put four factors in front of you. Economic, financial, and there is a difference. The economy is bigger picture. Of course, that would count on, that would include your retirements and the things that are happening as our 401ks and our IRAs are crashing right now. So there's economic, there's financial, and that's your monthly budget or your weekly budget or your daily budget, whatever it is, how you get by, how you make your bills before the next paycheck and so forth. So there's economic, there's financial, there's educational, and there's cultural. Those are the four hallmarks that I think um, are the most important things I think that Americans are are dealing with right now. As a matter of fact, I think those are the four reasons why we're going to have this massive, massive change in power coming up in November. Because Americans are suffering economically, financially, culturally, and educationally. I mean, we, we, we really are. From, and when we talk about the culture, we talk about just what it's like to live our day-to-day lives with the extraordinary crime rates spiking, with the lack of accountability being uh, being put upon criminals who are committing these terrible acts against uh, uh, innocent people like you and me by radical left-wing district attorneys who believe more in the equity of the criminal justice system than they do in keeping criminals locked up, regardless of what they look like. That's a part of the culture. Accepting the nuclear family that was the building block of what this culture was, that is that is now considered to be taboo. That is worth being canceled over. If you don't accept the destruction of the family, the nuclear family, and the rebuilding of this country in which the government runs things rather than mothers and fathers, that kids are raised by the state, kids are educated, and this gets into the education portion of it as well, educated and indoctrinated in a manner that will make them productive servants of the state rather than productive individuals pursuing their own American dreams. If I give you those four basic tenets, or four basic, not tenets, four basic categories, I guess, of success in this country, from economics to financial to cultural, and yes, that will include Roe v. Wade, it'll include guns, and so on and so forth, to educational, which is what is being done to um, our next generation, the young children in the schools today. If I were to ask you whether or not we have improved, your life rather has improved in the last year and a half, that Joe Biden and the Democrats have had full power, or if it has gotten worse, I want you to tell me how. And be specific. I want you to call, and I want you to tell me, this has gotten better, this has gotten worse. For you personally, or for your family, or for people that you know and people you speak with. I want to take this to Main Street, is my point. Joe Biden stood there in front of Max Hayes High School, an audience there yesterday, and declared that his economy is better, that this economy is better. We've got a long way to go because of Vladimir Putin's tax increase, as he calls it, which is a flat-out lie. A flat-out lie. But he said this economy is growing because of his policies. And this economy, which is headed toward a recession, for those who don't know, this economy is doing well for the middle class, and that the middle class has him to thank for this. You are the middle class. Economically, financially, educationally, and culturally, are we better now in the last year and a half than we were before? I remember Ronald Reagan in his, uh, his uh, run for re-election in 1984, 1983, 84, 
when he ran, and I know this historically, of course, because I didn't study it when I was a kid. I wasn't paying too much attention to this. But Ronald Reagan uh, asked Americans very, very simply, are you better off now than you were four years ago? His case for re-election was, are you better off now than you were when Jimmy Carter and the Democrats were running the country? Americans looked at their checkbooks, they looked at their bank balances, they looked at their lives, they looked at their homes, they looked at their kids, they looked at their schools, they looked at their culture and said, actually, you better believe we are. And they overwhelmingly reelected uh, President Reagan in the most historic route in presidential history. The most historic route in presidential history. Because of that very simple question. Are you better off than you were four years ago? Well, we're a year and a half into Biden. You tell me. Is there anything in your life that's better? Is there anything that you are improved upon or has been improved upon for you? Ponder that. Now, while you ponder that, and then dial 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110, I want to go back to something I talked about yesterday and ask Tucker to give an explanation here. Yesterday, I made you aware, and apparently a lot of people didn't know this yesterday, including the press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. Did I mention that she's gay and that she's black? Got to mention that she's gay and she's black anytime you reference her, just so you know that, because that's historic. That's what they told us. So the gay and black, Corinne Jean-Pierre, was asked yesterday why Joe Biden is, is sending 500 million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to Europe and to Asia, including communist China. Corinne Jean-Pierre said, I'm not aware of that report. I don't really have anything to say about that. She's not aware of it. I was aware of it. I found it. Yesterday, Reuters found it, Town Hall found it, and we talked about it. Well, last night, Tucker talked about it. What did I say to you yesterday? I said yesterday, this is borderline treason. The American people are suffering and struggling because of energy costs, and so much so that Biden has seen fit to tap into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve just for our own use, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible policy, rather than ramping up again, exploration, drilling, and production, he says, let's spend what we already have saved up. He said, and I say this every day when we talk about this, it's like spending your 401k instead of getting a job. What are you going to do when it runs out? Then what? Well, Biden doesn't think that far ahead, so he's using it here like crazy. But then now he's sending it to other countries, our own strategic petroleum reserve. Reserve for American emergencies is being given to other countries. And I said, I think it's borderline treasonous what it's doing to the American people. This is not in the best interest of the country. As a matter of fact, it weakens us in the face of our enemies. And if you weaken us in the face of our enemies, literally, well, then you have aided and abetted our enemies now, haven't you? Well, Tucker addressed this last night. He's one of the few other people who caught this and talked about it yesterday. I used the word treasonous. He used the word impeachable. But listen. In 1991, beginning of Operation Desert Storm, which was an actual war with real American soldiers involved, the U.S. government released 17 million barrels of oil as a way of assuring a stable supply of global crude. The U.S. released just 20 million barrels after Hurricane Katrina destroyed parts of the Gulf Coast where so many refineries are. But now we're releasing many times that figure from the reserve, all to protect the Democratic Party from getting what it deserves in the midterm elections in November. And as a result of that unbelievably reckless, in fact, criminal decision, our strategic oil reserves are now at their lowest level in nearly 40 years, and they are dropping fast. Again, none of this needed to happen. 
There was no reason to tap our strategic petroleum reserve when we could produce the energy here. And we're, in fact, producing it until Joe Biden took office. I'm going to pause it there just to underscore that because it's what I talk about with you on a daily basis. There is no reason for us to even be using the strategic reserve right now. We have reserves. We just haven't dug into the ground to bring them up. We haven't maximized the capacity of the refineries. We haven't allowed the pipeline to be built to flow that, that liquid gold energy from uh, throughout North America. This was a personal decision made by Biden when he used executive order power on day one when he was inaugurated, January 20th, 2021. It was his own personal decision to stop the new exploration and drilling and acquisition and refining of energy. He made that personal decision and then said, we'll spend what we have in the bank. We'll just spend what we've got stored up. We'll use the strategic petroleum reserve. It's unnecessary and it's extraordinarily dangerous, as Tucker continues to point out. But at the same time, you have to be honest, principles of supply and demand would suggest that this would work in the short term. Releasing all this oil should have lowered gas prices until the reserve ran out, which it will. So you inject more petroleum into the market and prices for gas should drop. But here's the amazing thing. That's not happening. Since Joe Biden started releasing all this oil from our reserves, which he does not own, you do, we do, what has happened to gas prices? They haven't dropped. They've kept going up. Huh? In mid-June, the price of both regular unleaded and diesel, critically, hit all-time highs, well over five bucks a gallon nationally. How could this be? It really was a mystery. It violated the most basic rules of economics. But now, thanks to a new report in Reuters, we know why. It turns out the oil being released isn't for us. It's going to India and China. According to Reuters, and we're quoting, more than 5 million barrels of oil that were part of a historic U.S. emergency reserve release to lower domestic fuel prices were exported to Europe and Asia last month. The piece continues, quote, cargoes of SPR crude, oil from our reserves, were also headed to the Netherlands and to a Reliance refinery in India, an industry source said. A third cargo, buckle your seatbelt, headed to China. To China. I'm going to stop there to underscore it again. This is why I said it's treasonous. China is an American enemy. And you might say, Bob, that's going too far because we are not at war with China. There has not been a declared war. Okay. At the very best, then you can call them our adversary. Either way, we are in a very, very serious showdown with China, one that could escalate to war. And China is in a, is in a mess of their own making. And Joe Biden is helping bail them out of it by sending our strategic petroleum reserve oil to the Chinese. Now, if this was going, you know, this is whataboutism, the left hates this game, but we have to do this. If this was Donald Trump sending barrels of oil, 500 million of them, to China and India and Europe, while Americans are paying five bucks a gallon at the pump and there's a concern about supply, what would they say? Would they use the word treason? You better believe it. Would there be bring excuse me, would they bring impeachment articles against him? You better believe they would. But will anybody do that to Joe Biden? So as gas prices set records in this country, as American citizens who are born here and vote 
and pay taxes, cannot afford to fuel their own cars, the Biden administration is selling off our emergency oil reserves to China. That's not an indictable offense. It's certainly an impeachable one. And they should impeach him for that. This is what I brought to you yesterday. I found this yesterday, and again, not a lot of people were talking about it, and I'll be quite honest with you. I don't know if anybody's talked about it between me and Tucker anywhere. I haven't heard it on any of the national shows. I haven't heard it anywhere. Maybe they're doing it, and I missed it. But I will tell you this. If this doesn't steal your resolve to take the power back from this this enemy of the American people and his party this November, then nothing will. Nothing will. Their attempt to destroy the filibuster, destroy the Supreme Court, and so forth, all of these things to try to codify Roe, their attempts to destroy this country from the cultural standpoint, from the educational standpoint, that would mean nothing. Nothing. Their attempts to do that, their attempts to uh, strengthen our, our enemies, to weaken us and our energy policies until we bow to the will of the, what do they call it, the liberal world order, if this doesn't steal your resolve, if this doesn't drive you to the ballot box in record numbers this November to ensure that these people can 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 do no more damage, then nothing will. 216-901-0945, I want to hear from me. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Nine fifty-five. Always right. Radio on air on AM fourteen twenty. The answer online. You can listen uh, through your device uh, at alwayswrite.us. Alwayswrite.us. Lead stories of the day are up. Make sure you check those out. And of course, make sure you listen to interviews that you may have missed. We have a new segment or a new section rather on the webpage. Uh, it's headlined right in the upper left from the show, and uh, some of the best and most important interviews that we have each and every day. Uh, are collected there for you so that you can make sure that you go back and listen. Yesterday, we spoke with J.D. Vance uh, about his race against Tim Ryan. It was important. The conversation was important, and it has to be just the beginning of of an important conversation, not an end, because there is a lot of work that needs to be done if he's going to hold off Tim Ryan. This is a red state. It's a red seat. It should be a given that the Republican nominee wins this. But the way J.D. Vance is campaigning at the moment, I'm not quite sure what the strategy is. I told him we haven't heard from him. When is he going to start talking back? When is he going to start responding to the negative ads? That's why I brought him on. You're going to want to hear his response. It's uh, Yesterday's interview is up at alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Jonathan is calling us from somewhere in Lorain County, and you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Jonathan, go ahead. Good, sir. Uh, yes. Jonathan, yeah, go ahead and turn your radio down there, buddy. You're uh, you're on the phone and there's a delay. Sorry, yeah. I just turned it off. No worries, uh, go right ahead. <clears throat> yeah, so life for my family has not gotten better at all. A uh, little bit. My wife and I in 2016 decided to go to a single-income family, and because of the situation in our country now, uh, we're being forced to think of having to have her start to work. And so it's unfortunately not what we want to do, but um, that's the situation we're in. And it's all because of inflation, uh, cost of fuel and 
groceries and everything you talk about. And uh, again, Bob, I appreciate everything you do on on your show, and um, I I hope you keep up the good work. Uh, but that's that's what I just had to say, and I know that I'm not the only one in that boat. So, no, uh, no, you're you're certainly not. Um, and, and I'm sorry, I don't want to get personal, too personal on this. Here, you said your you know your wife is going to have to talk about working. Uh, what, what? How many people in your family? Children? Uh, three kids. And and are they young? Uh, eight and under. Eight and under. So they are okay. So that means your wife yeah. is going to have to go to work in order to meet the 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 demands that you have, meet your obligations, financial obligations, because of the increased cost of everything. Um, who's going to look after your kids while your wife has to work, now that both of you would have to be outside the home working? Jonathan? Did I lose Jonathan? I think I may have lost Jonathan. Okay. The reason I was asking, obviously, is not to get personal, but to point out the fact that now there is a new cost for that. I remember... When we started our family, my wife and I, my wife and I ended up taking five years off of work because two reasons. Uh, number one, she wanted to raise our children rather than to hand them to a caregiver, you know, a nanny, a, a sitter, a whatever you want to call it. Um, we did not live near family. So we didn't have somebody who could just do it for free. Hey, and dropping the kids off at grandma's house. As a matter of fact, we didn't have grandmas uh, in our kids' lives uh, because both of our mothers passed um, a while back. Um, so she she thought for the, for the obvious reason she wanted to be the one to raise our children in the most influential and formative times of their lives. You know, from birth, uh, you know, in, in, in into their toddler years. Um. But also, there was the cost factor. We crunched the numbers. We crunched the numbers and found that, guess what? We would have actually spent more. Think about this. We would have spent more on the caregivers for the kids, and she could have earned uh, working a job. So that's the situation families find themselves in right now. Families that were doing well and and making ends meet with one uh, parent in the household working outside the home and the other one staying home and taking care of the kids now have to have both parents working and how do you account for the cost of now watching the kids and taking care of them you're going to pay preschool prices you're going to pay whatever uh you know a uh, daycare prices that you have to which are going to wipe out the income anyway this is the conundrum that the biden economy has put so many millions of parents in Jonathan, I thank you for the uh, call. I thank you for your story, and I thank you for your comments, uh, compliments as well. Uh, we'll pick this up in a bit, but right now we're going to get our news, then we're going to talk to Dr. Everett Piper, and uh, we'll have more of this part of the conversation coming up. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. 
Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Thursday. It's the seventh morning of the seventh month of the year of our Lord, 2022. We'll come back to the financial and the economic discussions about where your family is right now in the uh, one and a half years now, the age of Biden, or let's go Brandon, if you will. Um, but the other two elements, something we can talk about, and I think we do on a daily basis, but um, the other two elements that I'm focusing on are educational and cultural. There's economic and financial, which we're discussing, educational and cultural, something I like to discuss every Thursday with our next guest. Dr. Everett Piper is our regular Thursday commentator on these issues. He is a current Washington Times columnist. He is a a best-selling author. He is a podcast radio host, and he's a former university president as well. Dr. Everett Piper, back with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, sir. How are you, doctor? I'm doing well, Bob. Uh, by the way, I drove through your backyard, so to speak, a couple days ago as I passed through Cleveland on my way to Lake Ontario, where we have a little bit of a cottage where I'm vacationing right now. And you didn't stop in for a burger? I mean, well, come on. you need I, to send me. I, I've asked you for your address, and you keep refusing to give it. I didn't know you were in town. <laughs> I would have made sure you had it, or near town, anyway, near the backyard. You know, I interviewed President Trump last uh, last uh, June. In fact, it's almost a year, it, it, just over a year now. And I interviewed him before he came to Wellington, Ohio, for a rally. And uh, strangely and in an unplanned manner, I introduced him and then said, hey, by the way, since you're going to be so close to my house, you're welcome for, welcome to come over for a swim and a burger. I literally asked the president of the United States that, and he actually considered it and said he just might do that. So um, if I can invite Donald Trump over, I can certainly have uh, Dr. Everett Piper over. Let me, let me know next time you're going to be in my area, okay? Okay, good deal. Dr. Piper, first of all, um, I was looking at your Twitter today. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but I, of course, follow the people who are. Um, this says, as of two days ago, July 5th, Rebellion Podcast number 500. Is that right? 500. That's a huge accomplishment. Can you dig it? Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal. 500 podcasts of the Rebellion, Dr. Piper. Yeah, I've been doing this for a couple of years now, obviously. Um, I do one every day. Uh, Monday through Friday, it airs on a on a small um, top forty radio station in Okmulgee, Oklahoma. It's called The Brew, twelve forty The Brew, and uh, then I upload it as a podcast after I, after I do the radio so show. So for those listening, it's a half hour of me saying whatever I want to say. The radio station does not restrict me in any way, so I talk about a lot of the same issues as you've defined them: educational and cultural. And ecclesiastical, because I talk about issues pertaining to the church a lot, biblical worldview, and the lack thereof in our culture. So, yeah, 500 of those on the rebellion right now. Uh, that's terrific. Well, congratulations on that. I uh, I certainly appreciate uh, you know what you do because I know the difficulty of what it is uh, to do radio and to do it daily. You know, so many people are doing podcasts. They may do two a week or they may do one a week or whatever. For you to do it daily, uh, like you said, as a radio show and then convert it into a podcast is uh, is not an easy thing to do. So, congratulations to you on that. And I hope people follow you and do download and listen to your podcast uh, wherever they do get their podcasts. Again, it's called The Rebellion with Dr. Everett Piper. All right, Dr. Piper, I want to uh, pivot now to your other media uh, dealings, and that would include your Washington Times column, Saving the Lives of Millions of Children is Not Just a Political Victory. I started to tease that at the top of the show today just to let everybody know exactly what we're talking about, but um, I'm going to let you kind of lay the groundwork here. Um, Why is it that Christian leaders are not, as you put it in the piece, leading the parade of those celebrating the overturning of Roe and giving the people a say in the uh, what what a life actually is worth in the states in this country. Well, 
I'm very critical of the pulpit, if you will, the pastorate. And as you know, I've said it before on your show, I think I have the obligation as an evangelical believer to call out my own. I mean, this is my home, and if my home, if my own, if the people that I worship with are abandoning the very the very cornerstones of the gospel, of the biblical worldview, then somebody needs to wave the flag and say, what are we doing? And so this particular commentary that you're referring to right now is me calling to task a Wesleyan pastor. The Wesleyan Church is a small denomination of about a half million in our nation. Uh, it would be akin to the Nazarene Church, the, the, the Free Methodist Church, the Wesleyan Church are all cut out of the same cloth. Well, there's a Wesleyan pastor that actually has a large church of well over 2,000 congregants in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who tweeted this after the decision on Roe. He said, and I quote, okay, Christians, we have a choice right now. This political victory for those who are pro-life isn't a victory for everyone. If we are really, truly for all life, let's be for those who have all different perspectives on this issue, and let's truly love like Jesus. Let's be ready to stand with those who are hurting right now and truly be for them. Please, he says, I'm begging you, let's choose a posture that is truly pro-life and not just anti-abortion. Close quote. Now, as you know, Bob, I think this was one of the most vacuous and stupid things I've heard from the pulpit in recent days when it comes to this abortion issue. I mean, stop and think about the rhetorical questions we ought to ask this young pastor. I mean, this is just a political victory for the millions of children who are going to be spared the agony of having their heads and legs and arms torn asunder from their bodies without even having the benefit of anesthesia? Yeah, that's just a political victory? Maybe it's a moral imperative and not just something to be dumbed down to a political cause. And you know, I also draw the parallel in my article where I say, okay, really, really, we're supposed to be ready to stand for all of those who have different perspectives on this issue? Well, okay, so are we supposed to, would he have said that those that were pro-Jewish doing our Holocaust, excuse me, the Holocaust, should have been willing to stand with those who believed that Hitler was right and the Third Reich should be uh, coddled and comforted because they'd lost their right to execute Jews in the furnaces of Auschwitz? Yeah, let's just be pro-Aryan and not just anti, uh, anti-Auschwitz. anti Is that where he would have gone? So I go on and I draw the parallel of it on slavery, too. Does he think that those who are abolitionists should have been uh, sensitive to those who lost the right to own and buy and sell human beings? Should they have been pro-slavery as much as they were anti-slavery. I mean, this is lunacy and it's nonsense to draw these moral parallels between the Roe versus Wade decision and ignore the fact that the March for Human Rights actually is grounded in a biblical worldview, and without it, we wouldn't have the rights and the human dignity that we now enjoy in the public square. Yeah, and you also, of course, touched on women's rights and the right to vote. Uh, you know, the suffragists, you know, was it a victory for women? Should we have celebrated in an un, um, unrestrained manner for those individuals? Or should we have taken some time to consider those who did not believe they should have the right to vote and considered how this made them feel? This isn't a victory for them. These uh, people should be, uh, these people should be our concern as well. Uh, it was such a great article and such a good, all of the analogies that you drew are perfect. I want to go back to the uh, what the pastor, the Wesleyan pastor, said about let's uh, be truly pro-life and not just anti-abortion, because it brings to mind another argument that the pro-deathers, um, uh, and that's, that's, I refer to them that way, 
because the opposite of life isn't choice. The opposite of life is death. So you're pro-life or you're pro-death. But the pro-deathers have uh, have said to us who are pro-life for a very long time and did certainly after this overturning of Roe, uh, okay, then you must be against and opposed to the death penalty. And Dr. Piper, in the three years or so that you and I have been talking and doing this on a weekly basis, I don't know if you and I have ever talked about the death penalty. Maybe we haven't. It's just escaping me. It's been a lot of conversation. But how do you respond to those who say, fine, if you are so happy with the overturning of Roe because you're pro-life, then you better be lobbying your members of Congress to or your state uh, senators and state representation uh, to make sure that there is no death penalty in your state. If you're so pro-life, then you are pro-all-life. How do you respond to that, or how have you responded to that? Uh, false equivalency. Um, the The death penalty is, in the United States, exists to punish those who have committed murder. And let's just cut to the chase. A volitional act of violence against another human being where you intentionally take their life. And therefore, as a, as a morally culpable individual, an adult who makes that decision to kill somebody else, the death penalty is on the table um, to, um, to mitigate accordingly. Hopefully to discourage people from doing that in the first place. And second, to have a... Um, uh, a response that is commensurate with the offense in the first place. That has nothing to do with taking an innocent life, Some a child who hasn't done anything wrong to anyone. You're going to put that decision of executing an innocent human being who's done nothing to anyone, by definition, you're going to put it on in the same moral discussion as the death penalty being meted out against an adult who makes a, a decision to kill another human being. This is not the same moral plane. It's not the same discussion. Um, you argue exactly as I would and exactly as I have. Um, but, you know, sometimes sometimes the arguments just fall on deaf ears, no matter how logical, no, no matter how reasonable that they are. I, I will say this, not that this is an issue that's, that should be on the table right now, but just because we're talking about it. Um, Perhaps the most unjust thing I think about our justice system is if somebody who is actually wrongly convicted is put in prison for years of their lives and then come to find out through modern science or DNA or whatever, uh, witnesses who testified to someone's guilt recanting, whatever the case might be later on, they're let out of prison. It's really impossible to make that right for them for the years they've lost. It's definitely impossible to make it right for somebody who is executed wrongly because they have done the wrong thing. Now we are talking about taking innocent an innocent life in the same way. And I think that's the conundrum that those of us who are both pro-life when it comes to the issue of abortion and pro-death penalty when it comes to deterring uh, people from committing these capital crimes. That's the one thing that I think we are always going to have to um, uh, consider, I guess, Dr. Piper. Well, yeah, and um, frankly, to me, the question of what about the death penalty is the same question, or at least it's similar to the question of what about abortion and, and uh, abortion in the case of rape. Well, I don't believe abortion should be the response to rape. Morally, I don't think the child should be punished for the circumstances that led to his or her existence. However, rhetorically, we can respond and say, okay. All right, let's set that one on the uh, uh, aside for a second. We'll debate that one later on. Are you agreeing that all other babies should be protected from the abortionist's scalpel? So that is 0.025% or whatever it is of those children that are conceived as a result of rape. Let's just set that one aside. You're implicitly saying, by virtue of your argument, that everybody else should be 
uh, protected. Do we agree on that? Let's get to the let's cut to the chase on that one, and then we'll deal with the the aberration, the unusual situation, the thing that isn't the norm. And I would say perhaps we can address the um, the uh, false equivalency between between um, uh, the death penalty and abortion in a similar fashion. If we set that aside for a second, are you agreeing that all those children that are going to suffer abortion and execution as the result of Planned Parenthood, are you agreeing that we should protect them? If that's the case, great, we agree, let's lock arms. Now let's talk about what we do with adults who commit a volitional act of violence against another. That's such a great response. Because you're right, they will never stop there. They would never say, okay, yes, we should protect every other life except for that one. No, they they, they use that as a, as a tool to make the argument that abortion should be, well, as they declared and as they demanded, it should be without apology and on demand. And that's what they said. It went from being safe, legal, and rare was their argument to on, uh, uh, on demand and without apology. All right, Dr. Piper, we'll take a time out there. We'll come back because we've got to talk about what a woman is. You have been talking about the left's attempts to essentially erase women from existence. And now... Now, even the left is acknowledging that is what is happening with this pro-trans movement. Uh, We'll talk about that next as we continue with Dr. Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. Continuing now, our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper, joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. One more segment. We're going to talk a little bit about women. Dr. Piper, you were kind of... um, to be honest with you, I think you and Matt Walsh, who is very high profile with the Daily Wire, are, were kind of out in front of this about the essentially the erasure of women from existence. Um, if we cannot acknowledge what a woman is, and Matt Walsh made a whole documentary movie about this called "What Is a Woman," he has been uh, stifling and silencing the and, ang- and and angering the pro-trans movement in this country for the last couple of years over this. Uh, if a woman cannot be identified for the distinguishing characteristics that do indeed make her female, if it can be whatever somebody wants, you have essentially said they don't exist at all. Uh, you have been saying this for a while, but now the left is starting to catch on. An article in the New York Times from Sunday, uh, an opinion piece, finally noted that uh, the arguments behind the trans movement and what makes a woman a woman has uh, reduced women to, quote, just a mix of body parts and gender stereotypes. Finally, the left is acknowledging that erasing women might not necessarily be the best thing for women. Uh, You've been in front of this, as I said. What are your thoughts on the fact that the left is now starting to come around? Well, they need to, because feminism is dead if there is no such thing as a female. You can't deny the feminine and claim that you're a feminist. There's nothing to defend any longer. There's nothing to fight for. Women's rights don't exist if a woman is nothing but a fabrication or a fantasy. If she's make-believe, if she's a leprechaun or a unicorn, then what are you trying to fight for and what are you trying to defend? And as you know, I've ranted about this on your show over the course of the last couple of years. The LGBTQ plus movement is a movement that has only one logical end, and that is the complete degradation of what it means to be a woman and what it means to even be a man. The human being, the definition of what it means to be a human is lost as the result of the LGBTQ plus movement. Why? Because you're dumbing down your identity to nothing but the sum total of your inclinations. And you can't retain any modicum of human dignity if that's what you do. 
If we just start defining ourselves by our subjective de desires, and I'm going to say that again, when you define yourself by your desires rather than by God's objective design, you lose what it means to be a human being and you become nothing but I've used this cadence on your show before. Amago day, amago dog. Are yep. you created in the image of God with moral culpability and awareness and the responsibility to act accordingly, not defined by your gut or your libido or your desires or your proclivities or your inclinations? No, those things don't define you. Your moral restraint and your moral responsibility is what makes you human, whereas the dog doesn't care. So are you designed in the image of God, Imago Dei, or are you the Imago dog? Nothing but a highly evolved animal that's going to be driven by his desires and defined accordingly. That's the difference between the LGBTQIA narrative and the biblical worldview, the gospel. The good news of the gospel is this, Bob, and you know this, and many of your listeners know this, but for those who are new and don't, there's good news here. The gospel says, per the words of Jesus Christ himself, that you can be born again. In fact, you must be born again. The gospel does not become too easily satisfied to steal the words of C.S. Lewis. You're not too easily satisfied with being born that way. You celebrate the fact that you're born again. You're not transgendered. You're transformed. The old has died. That's the nature of baptism. That's what baptism symbolizes. You die to self, and you rise again in new life in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel message. It elevates humanity to the highest compliment and highest standard ever in the course of human history. And it celebrates the fact that you are defined by your Lord, if you will, not your libido. Dr. Piper, yeah, you say that as clearly and uh, as articulately as anybody really in, in media today or in, in, in uh, political punditry. Um, the word women is being eliminated. Uh, again, going back to the article uh, in the one New York Times and then the one that I shared with you in the post-millennial discussing this and acknowledging or talking about the fact that the Times is acknowledging uh, the fact that women are being erased, they correctly define this as misogyny. Going back to what you said at the beginning of your response just now about how can you be, you know, a feminist if you de if you deny femininity, um, and that is misogyny to essentially to 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 dumb down or to um, uh, I'm trying to find another way to say that, but to diminish women as being nothing more than a description of their biological functions by calling them pregnant people, they can get pregnant, birthing persons or menstruators or bodies with vaginas, which is what the New York Times writer talked about these things, by, by, by defining them in such ways, they are literally erasing what it means to be a woman, what it means for a woman and her uniquely feminine characteristics, her uniquely um, you know, distinctive characteristics from men. It, it, it's the ultimate form of misogyny, in my view. It is. And what is more degrading of a woman than to deny her, ba her a bathroom, deny her a shower, deny her sport, deny her... Uh, her shower, deny the scholarship that comes with the sport. When you start denying all those things that are rightfully women by virtue of Title IX and by virtue of the Bible, I would argue, when you start denying those things, what could be more misogynistic than to degrade women, take those things away, and give all of those things to a man 
who simply wants to raise his hand and say, well, I'm a woman because I feel like it. I'm, I guess my last words would be the facts don't care about your feelings. I'm quoting Ben Shapiro right now, obviously. Facts matter, and the facts of being a female should trump anyone's delusions or feelings of being otherwise. Well, you close our conversation with the words of Ben Shapiro. I close our conversation with the words of Pastor Mark Robinson. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That's the way I'm going to close it, Dr. Piper. <laughs> Dr. Everett Piper, always a pleasure, good sir. Thank you so very much. Congratulations again on episode number 500 of the, of the Rebellion. And a reminder to all of our listeners to tune in and check that out wherever you get your podcasts as well. Dr. Piper, thank you so much. We'll see you soon. Awesome. All right. There you go, Dr. Everett Piper joining us. It's 1032. We're late for the news, but that's okay. We'll catch up on the other side. Stay here. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. 1039, we continue on this Thursday. Thanks for being with us. Always Right Radio is online at alwaysright.us. Alwaysright.us. My interview with J.D. Vance is there from yesterday. J.D. was on Tucker last night. I think he was on Laura Ingram, too. He's all over the place all of a sudden, which is a good thing because... Um, He's been in his campaign. They've been notably silent um, since Tim Ryan launched his campaign against J.D. Vance back in the beginning of June. Really, uh, he's been at it hardcore. He's got a ton of money to spend. Does Tim Ryan to try to uh, paint J.D. Vance as being the uh, you know the Antichrist? And uh, he's doing a pretty good job of it. I was wondering. That's why I asked J.D. I said, you know, is it time to to, to start rolling out the big guns? Um, I fear. And say this in so many words to J.D. But I kind of implied it. I fear that the strategy he employed in winning the primary is the strategy he's going to try to employ to win the general. And it will be a mistake. Because it's different when you have a whole bunch of other people splitting the vote in a primary than in a one-on-one situation like this. And in the primary, he was able to be content sitting in fourth place, sometimes fifth place, maybe occasionally cracking third place through the bulk of the campaign and not really responding and doing a whole lot until the last month, six weeks, maybe eight weeks at the at the most. But for the most part, about a month to six weeks before the election on May 3rd, that's when J.D. Vance suddenly ramped up his campaign, started putting out ads, started spending some money, started Peter Thiel's money, uh, started really putting uh, the effort in that needed to boost him. And he kind of, you know, he, he did exactly what he wanted. He sat there behind, let Mike Gibbons and uh, Josh Mandel fight it out, literally almost on the, on the stage, uh, and then just kind of came in with a huge push at the end. And it's kind of like a boxer who kind of, you know, spends most of the round dancing, most of the round just avoiding being hit and taking any hard shots and waiting until there's 15 seconds left in the round and then throwing a flurry of punches all at once. Boom, 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 boom. And then the judge is saying, wow, that was phenomenal, and then giving that that particular uh, uh, boxer the round. You know, it's called stealing the round. Uh, it's kind of what J.D. did in the primary. Waited until the very end and then a big flurry, and the people were impressed, and they said, yeah. And away we go. I don't think that's going to work in this case. 
I think he's going to have to put a lot more into this in the months of uh, July and August, and as well, of course, in September and October. So if you want to hear that interview, go ahead and check it out. It's uh, J.D. Vance Yesterday Live. Uh, it's uh, saved at uh, Fran, or excuse me, at uh, alwayswrite.us, alwayswrite.us. Uh, let's go to the phones. Um, I asked in the first uh, opening of the show, or in the opening of the show, about your life right now. Joe Biden came to Cleveland yesterday selling his economic success. Selling? That the middle class is doing better under his policies than than they did under Trump's policies, under trickle-down policies. The middle class is doing better now. And I'm asking you, as an American middle-class person, if you are in the middle class, are you doing better in the last year and a half than you were under under Donald Trump? Are you doing better under these policies? Are you doing better with 15% inflation? Are you doing better with uh, with 9% uh, um, uh, retail inflation? Are you doing better with $5 gallon gas? Are you doing better with virtually everything that you buy being overpriced, pinching your monthly budget? And then we're also asking, are you doing better in the other core areas, I think, of our lives, the cultural and the educational? Are you doing better than you were uh, for the four years of the Trump administration? Sally Zimbria wants to answer that question for us. Sally, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420. The answer, good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. We were living comfortably, um, you know, being careful, but um, had our needs met. And now I'm speaking out for seniors on limited incomes because the right hand gives and the left takes away. The Social Security, they said, oh, it's wonderful. We gave you a cost of living increase. Well, then they took it away, wiped it out, and made us lose ground because of Medicare increases. And also, pensions are tanking now because of um, the the uh, financial policies. Also, economically, a lot of our food choices are more limited now, and we tend to buy sale items, if at all possible. And transportation, um, that's more limited to necessity, maybe doctor's appointments or something really important, but very limited. Uh, culturally, I can't imagine hearing groups wanting this lack of patriotism do not celebrate the 4th of July. I was horrified to hear that. Um, you never used to hear anything like that. The whole country would, would celebrate it. Um, and just the uh, increase in safety concerns and, and violence increasing, uh, the hostility towards police and the lack of prosecutions. Educationally concerned about our grandkids, um, our granddaughters with the girls' sports systems being turned around and the rampant CRT. So I would say in general, we're not doing that well. You uh, you covered a lot of ground there, Sally. That was a great, great uh, list that you just ran down, and, and it's a very great phone call because – what I think what you just did was you answered the survey that has been put out there asking Americans, is this country headed in the right direction? Now, that's a general overall question, and over 80-some percent of them are saying, no, we're headed in the wrong direction. And you just then went more specific and articulated many of the reasons why. And and I would what I would do is defy anybody who is a supporter, anybody who's in the you know remaining twenty percent or whatever it is that actually support the job and approve the job that the president is doing and his administration and his party's control of Congress. I would ask them to dispute any word that you just said. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think they could. 
you can't argue against what you just said with crime, with the education system, with the uh, uh, you know the the financials, with retirements and everything else. I mean, literally, you know, almost everything that Joe Biden walked into office and put his hands on. You know, it's the opposite of the Midas touch. King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold. Everything Joe Biden touches turns to waste, uh, to to literal waste. And uh, and 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 the idea that the American people and he came to Cleveland yesterday saying we're better off now is pretty astounding, isn't it? It's unbelievable. <laughs> for those who missed that part, and and Sally, thank you for the call. God bless. I appreciate your call, and I appreciate your. Uh, very well-explained positions on this. For those who missed it, this is what Biden said in Cleveland yesterday. You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it, millions of people out of their jobs, families in cars, remember, backed up for literally miles, waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk, just a box of food to be put in their trunk because they didn't have enough to eat. Previous administration lost more jobs than its watch than any administration since Herbert Hoover. That's a fact. All based on failed trickle-down economics that benefit the wealthiest Americans and hit the middle class and working people the hardest. But we came in with a fundamentally different economic vision, an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. It's good for everyone because when the middle class does well, the poor of a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. <laughs> it's not... <laughs> It's not right to laugh. It's just, it, you know, it, it's either that or scream, I suppose, right? But how many lies can be told in one 40-second soundbite? The idea that he had a plan to get us out of the pandemic? The idea that there are still Americans suffering from horrific, horrific uh, adverse events because of the vaccines that he and his uh, CDC pushed on the people saying this is the way to get out of the pandemic, despite the fact that it doesn't stop anybody from getting the virus that caused the pandemic? The idea that left-wing governors shut down the lives and the businesses and the jobs of millions of Americans, left-wing governors, whether they be Democrats or Republicans, the left-wing governors did this, blaming Trump, trickle-down policies for those jobs going away and not the left-wing essential businesses only nonsense being allowed to stay in business? The idea that this man would come into Cleveland, Ohio and declare that the middle class is growing, that the middle class is doing well under his economy, growing from the bottom up and the middle out, it's good for everyone. Because when the middle class does well, the poor have a ladder up, and the wealthy still do very well. So that's why I asked you, middle class America, are we, are you, are you, are you doing well under Bidenomics? Are you doing well under Bidenflation? Are you doing well as he stands there and tells you that your five dollar a gallon gas is not his fault that it's Vladimir Putin's fault? despite the fact that he told you he was going to kill fossil fuels and that that was necessarily going to lead to this great pain that we are all paying and suffering right now for our energy, because it's a great opportunity. Remember that. It's a great opportunity that we have right now to transition away. It's a great opportunity to transition away from these fossil fuels and into our green energy policies. 
he stands there and tells the middle class that you're doing better under his policies as we suffer like this country hasn't suffered in the middle class since the late 1970s and expects people to believe it, expects people to adopt it. It's really remarkable. So middle class America, I want you to respond, middle class Ohio anyway, for where we are right now, I want you to respond to Joe Biden. He said the middle class is doing better because of his economy. And when the middle class does better, well, then the poor do better, and the rich still do really well. So middle class America, he says you're killing it. He came to Midwest America. He came to Cleveland, Ohio yesterday to tell the middle class that they're doing a good job. Or not that they're doing a good job, but they're enjoying the benefits of his good job, of his good work. I want you to respond to that. If you had Joe Biden in a moment of honesty yesterday, if you had him in a private conversation, if you went to Max Hayes High School and listened to him speak and had an opportunity to say something to him about what he just said, what would you say? It's a legit question. What would you say? 216-901-0945. That's what I want you to do is dial that number and answer it. Let me get you, uh, Navy Man Norm in here before the break. Navy Man Norm in Strongsville on AM 1420, The Answer. Go ahead, sir. What, what, what I would have said is you're so full of blank your eyes are brown i'm sorry this man is just a serial liar he's a thief and a cheat he cheated on everything in his life include copying people's speeches uh their their mottos he's the big guy getting his 10 percent off the top but the one thing i just wanted to say bob getting back to the thing about jd vance i couldn't agree with you more and if he's got this laissez-faire attitude well, the voters are going to come to me instead of him coming to the voters and really, you know, going after it. He's going to be in for a shot comes November 8th. I mean, Tim Ryan is is no slouch. I mean, but J.D. Vance, to me, so far, is like the picture of the guy on the side of the milk cart. Have you seen this man? I've seen nothing. I've heard nothing. I mean, he's not doing any interviews. I don't see him going out to different groups and meeting them and working his butt off. This isn't this isn't something that you think is just going to fall in your lap. And your analogy was right on. He had three or, or I'm sorry, four other candidates going against him, so he could afford to wait until they beat each other up. He's only got one guy now, and that's yeah. Tim Ryan. And he better get his butt out there. And uh, I'm well, glad here's the thing. Here's the thing, Norm. Just to follow up on that before you continue, before you go. Um, he is ramping up the interviews, but I think it's got to be more than that because, you know, he he was on my show yesterday. He was on Tucker last night. He was on Laura Ingram. He did some kind of a sit-down with Fox 8 uh, as they did a little preview of the Senate matchup. So he's doing the interview thing, or at least it's starting, and I think throughout July and August that's that's fine. But he needs to get out to the people. I think he needs to get out and have Trump-style rallies, campaign events, where he gets people out there and gets them fired up about what he stands for, not just that he's not the Democrat. Uh, I'm not Tim Ryan, therefore vote for me, Red Ohio. Vote for me, Republican Ohio. I hope he doesn't just hope that the media interview circuit is enough, because talking to the people, the media is one thing. Talking to the people is quite another. Exactly, exactly. But getting back to our friend Brandon, you know, it would have been nothing but, come on, pal, who do you think you're talking to? We're not stupid Democrats. We're not union slugs that you had to round up and put in your in your little uh, high school gymnasium. We're the American people, and we're hurting. And I'm middle class. My wife is middle class. My children are middle class. And you are putting a hurt on us in plain English. You know, maybe you got your mansions and you got your 10% off the top with Hunter, but we don't. And that's what I would have said to him. 
Very well said. Thank you, Navy, Navy Man Norm. I appreciate the call. And you know what he would have said back to you, right? He would have said, True international over depression. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty I'm much. I'm sick of this stuff. Yeah, you don't want to hear any of that anymore. I'm also proud to have signed an executive order on my first day in office to combat discrimination against LGBTQLI, excuse me, plus American. <laughs> if you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, then you ain't black. You know the, you know the thing. Uh, thank you, Norm. More calls coming up after this. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Let's go to uh, Parmanex. Bob, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Good morning, and go right ahead. Hey, Bob. I guess I would ask, you know, Sleepy Creepy Joe, if he's just juiced up during the week because that's why he takes three weekends off, or are the drugs illegal or illegal that they give them to keep them so well adverse? Bob, I hate to say this, but I can't understand pretty much anything you're saying now. It sounds like you're speaking with a pillow over the phone. Uh, it's just muffled and very hard to hear. Are you on a speaker? I'm sorry, Bob. I'm driving over a 480 bridge. Ah. I'll call back later. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for understanding. I didn't mean to be rude, uh, but I just couldn't hear much of what you said there. I'd love to respond to it, but, uh, but I couldn't hear it. So that'll open up Brian in Cleveland real quick. Hey, Brian, go ahead, sir. Bob, I'm trucking down 480 right here by Miles, too, talking out of the Bluetooth headset. How can you hear me? <laughs> Not super well, to be honest with you. Not super well. <laughs> All right. Well, at any rate, like I, was, like I told you, screen it real quick. You know, you got Biden comes to town. He's going to go over to the, call it the ghetto, 65th and Clark, where Max Hayes is. A brand-new high school they just spent multi-million dollars on in one of the worst school districts in the country. In a neighborhood that's essentially impoverished to tout his economic policies and tell everybody how good he's doing. So let me tell you how good I'm doing. It cost me about 70 bucks this morning to put gas in my car. I'm running about 450 a day putting fuel in my truck. That's around eight grand a month. Not to mention tires, not to mention oil, grease, windshield washer, fluid. And then let's talk about my refrigerator. With the cost of food going up the way that it is, my food bill has probably gone up probably 35% over the last year and a half. You know what, my friend, Brian, thanks for that call. I appreciate it. God bless. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheer, not because of your misery, but because of you articulating the problem as well as you just did. Thank you so much. We'll take your time out of here for news. Come back. Always right radio. Hour 3 coming up. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. 
It is indeed. And hour number three is now underway. Nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. We're going to take you until almost the end of the hour. At about 45, we'll hand it over to Bill O'Reilly to take you to the top. And uh, he's got a lot to say. Bill O'Reilly was fired up, by the way. Uh, was it yesterday? Uh, it was yesterday I played it. I think he said it the day before. Bill O'Reilly, if you didn't hear it, was fired up about J.B. Pritzker, the uh, uh, governor of the state of Illinois, who is uh, ripping, of course, uh, innocent Americans who own guns. Ripping innocent Americans as being the cause of all of the gun violence because, well, of the Second Amendment and the founding fathers wouldn't have, would never have approved of, of, of assault weapons, weapons of war, when they said that everybody should be able to have a musket. Bill O'Reilly went off. Uh, on Pritzker for his complete hypocrisy and his ignoring of violent crime, trying to protect people uh, from guns. How about protecting people from the gangs and from the gang members that plague Chicago that shoot dozens and dozens of people every single week? How about plaguing them, or uh, excuse me, how about condemning that? How about protecting people from that plague, from that scourge? Um, O'Reilly basically just said, you won't address that because you don't want to be attacked by the left. You don't want to be attacked by your own party because you would have to condemn racial minorities in those gangs. You, JB, are not going to stop loons, and you won't stop crime, drug crime, drug gangs, because they're minority gangs. That's why you won't stop them, you phony. You aid and abet this murder in Chicago every blanking day. You! Don't be sanctimonious with me. He's not wrong. He's not wrong at all, but nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Olga is in Cleveland. Olga, thanks for waiting. You're on AM 1420. The answer. Go ahead. Hi, Mr. France. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you. What's on your mind? Good. I thought of something that you could use. Uh, for a metaphor that you were looking instead of the oh, one for that the for the used. conundrum for the conundrum that Biden faces about trying uh, yeah, to right. yeah right he's trying to polish a turd <laughs> and um, another thing is there's too many wokey dopes you know instead of rope a dope yeah. it's wokey dopes yeah. yeah. Okay, that's not uh-huh. that, that's not inaccurate. That's not inaccurate. Um, uh-huh. I, I'll say. And uh, anything else, Olga? Before I respond? <clears throat> uh, no, I think that's about it for right okay. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably would have held off on the polish. And thank you for the call for the the polishing uh, analogy because uh, I just don't like saying that word on the radio. It's one of the most disgusting words I think in our language. To be honest with you, the T word. Um, but you're not wrong. And for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I was, I'm, and I'm still struggling. I, as funny as that was, it doesn't quite cover everything that I was talking about when I said Biden has just put himself into such a an impossible position. The impossible position being he has to find a way to be pretending. Let me rephrase. He has a he has to find a way to convince the people that he's trying to stop the policies that he intentionally is um is is implementing you follow what i'm saying he intentionally implemented policies to kill the fossil fuel industry which is exactly what he said he was going to you do you don't have to agree but i want you to look in my eyes i guarantee you 
I guarantee you we're going to end fossil fuel, and I am not going to cooperate with you, okay? So, so he made that promise, right? And that's what he implemented when day one, when he signed all of those orders, uh, banning uh, fracking, banning drilling, banning uh, coal plants, banning uh, 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 the pipeline from being constructed. All of those things were done. So that was the plan, but now that the plan is necessarily harming Americans with $5 a gallon, uh, you know, gas. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that, God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. So... We're suffering the pains that he put in place for us to suffer, but because we're suffering, we hate him. And and he has a, a you know a, a twenty something percent approval rating. People are are necessarily and rightly and justifiably furious with him. So he has to find a way to say that I'm trying to stop it. I'm trying to stop the plan that I implemented that I'm not going to roll back on. But I have to find a way to make you believe that I'm trying to stop it so that you'll vote for me and my party to have more power to continue past November. That's the conundrum. That's what he faces. It's an almost impossible thing to compare to. There's nothing like it. I intend to kill fossil fuels. I intend to raise the prices of energy so that we are, you are forced to accept uh, the green solutions that my gangrene climate alarmist chicken little hucksters uh, are planning and pushing. So I'm planning to do this, but in the meantime, I know you're going to get mad at me because your costs are going to go up, and I need to find a way to make sure you're not too mad at me that you don't vote for me in my party again in November. It's literally an impossible task that he has laid out for himself. But that's what he's doing. That's why he pivoted to the, hey, it's Putin's fault. And then he pivoted from that to, hey, it's the gas station owner's fault. They're making too much money. They need to stop uh, uh, or lower their prices, even though I'm going to put them all out of business. They should cut their profits now anyway. Um, that's what he's trying to do. Is it? Don't blame me, but just so you know, I am indeed responsible for this. Now, in, in the Putin part, by the way, you remember this one? So, for all those Republicans in Congress criticizing me today for high gas prices in America, are you now saying we were wrong to support Ukraine? Are you saying we were wrong to stand up to Putin? Because supporting Ukraine... And standing up to Putin means we're willing to pay $5 a gallon. And if you don't want to pay $5 a gallon, then you hate Ukraine. And you love Vladimir Putin. That's literally what his message is, was and is. Uh, TJ's in Cleveland next. Hi, TJ, go ahead. Yeah, hello, Bob. You know, before I give my thoughts on the Biden economy, i got to tell you something that happened to me late yesterday afternoon. <clears throat> I was out in this open field playing you know, Frisbee with my shepherd. And lo and behold, over the top of us come Air Force One. I guess they were leaving Hopkins, yeah. and they were flying low and slow. And, you know, the first thing come into my mind, I don't know if you remember a cartoon from years ago. It was called The Last Great Act of Defiance, where this little mouse was standing there giving the finger to this big hawk, you know, swooping down on him. <laughs> so I did what that little mouse did, and I gave <laughs> Joe the finger out there. The only thing I was worried about, if they had seen and they were low enough probably to see it, I was worried they were going to drop their toilet tanks on me as they went over. <laughs> but uh, well, he's but, doing that. He's doing that on all of us every day, anyway. <laughs> yeah, but that's the truth. I mean, that's a, there's a yeah. metaphor. There's a metaphor yeah. for what Biden is doing to the middle class. He's emptying Air Force One toilet tanks on us on a daily basis. That's that's reality. What else you got? Yeah, uh, but you know, with this economy, you know, we live pretty frugal. So I'll have to 
I have to admit, like, the gas and, and the food aren't breaking our back. But where you get hit between the eyes with the Joe Biden economy is when you go to buy a big-ticket item. If you've got to replace your car or your refrigerator or your furnace, this is when you get pounded with this Biden economy. Uh, one of the guys up at, uh, with his dog up at the park we go to, he was showing his car he bought two years ago, $27,000. He said he looked at the same car today, it's $34,000. Uh, you go to buy a refrigerator, we bought one just recently. Damn thing was near double what it would have been a couple years ago. And this is where the people really are getting pounded is when they go to get, you know, like I said, a bigger well, ticket I, item. I'm going to agree but disagree. Uh, you're certainly right. I totally agree about the big ticket items. And you feel a bigger punch in the face from the inflation of a big ticket item for obvious reasons. You know, I just bought a truck a few months ago. Uh, it, it's a it's a used. And, and I asked the dealer directly when I bought it. I said, uh, you know, how much would this have cost me if I'd have bought it a year ago? He said about $4,000 less. It literally is $4,000 more than I had to pay and build into my, my, my truck loan than I would have had to pay. So obviously that's a bigger hit, and you're right. We're getting punched in the face there. But it is not um, it is not any better at the smaller items. It's just that you don't feel it as much at one time. But if you go out to a restaurant and you look at the menu prices today to look at what they were six months ago, you're going to see huge increases. If you go to the grocery store, you're going to fill the cart the same way you did six months ago, and it is going to cost you a good uh, you know, $20, $30, $40 more, or you're going to have a set budget on your groceries, and your cart's only going to be half full compared to the way it was before. So the, I agree with you on the big-ticket items being the biggest pain that we face, but the smaller priced items all add up to to you know the same the same sort of suffering particularly since we're not buying big ticket items on a regular basis most people but are buying their necessities their groceries and they're paying their bills and so forth uh and things like that on a regular basis so i think it's all i think it's all bad a big ticket and and below no i agree with you Bob. i'm just saying our personal thing you know uh, yeah. don't forget I, when I said we live pretty frugal, you know, my idea of entertainment is throwing the frisbee to the dog out in the field. So it's not like we go anywhere. No, I, I get that. Uh, and, yeah, and by the not, way, by the way, I remember doing that with my shepherd years ago, and that is, there's nothing more fun than that. I think it's it, it's it's great entertainment. I do that over paid entertainment any day. So I'm with you on that. But but uh, and and the, you're retired, right, TJ? Yes. So we yes. don't drive, you know, too many places. Right. See, that's so that's the part. We're not, Right. So you personally are not impacted by the gas costs as much as somebody who's driving to work back and forth and having to fill up the tank twice a week. Or truck drivers. I really feel or sorry truckers. for them. Right, right. No, I mean, you, I, I don't know how the heck they can even afford to keep driving. I, well, you know I what? Really the, the, the only way they can is if they jack up the cost of whatever they're, you know, they're, they're shipping. You know, whatever the cost is to ship, they have to jack up the cost just to, and then of course that gets passed on to us in those uh, items that you just talked about that's, that are in their rigs. Uh, thank you, TJ. I appreciate the phone call. Um, yeah, I mean, if you are in a, in a, again, a middle class America, because Biden came to Cleveland bragging about how middle class Americans are doing better for him, under him. Middle-class Americans who are not retired are, generally speaking, working. And most people don't work in the home. Most people work at a commute or at a place, I should say, where they have to commute, uh, you know, 20, 30 minutes every day. And 20, 30 minutes every day, particularly in traffic, as you idle, you know, you're probably filling up what? Twice a week, maybe two times every week and a half, somewhere in that neighborhood. And if your if you're gas bill, unlike TJ's, who's retired, didn't drive a lot, if your gas bill went from being $30 to fill up six months ago, a year ago, uh, and now it's 60 because it is pretty much double. Or if you've got a bigger tank like my the truck I was on, you know, it, that's a 20-gallon tank. 
A twenty gallon tank is is an eighty dollar fill up. It's it's a no. Take that back. It, almost five bucks a gallon, unless I get it at Sam's or something. You know, it's it's almost a hundred dollar fill up. Now I don't drive every day uh, long distances where I have to fill it up twice a week. Thank goodness. But for people who do, middle class America, that Joe Biden says is doing so well, that's got to be just killing you. It's got to be killing you. You know, you may not be able to do anything but throw the frisbee to your dog. It may not be a matter of preference anymore. It may not be a matter of preference. It's that's the only option. You can't afford to take the family out to eat. You can't afford to take the family to the movies. You can't afford to take the family to the ball game. You can't afford to drive your kid to to, to um, uh, uh, travel baseball or travel volleyball or any of the other things that they're doing. You just can't afford it anymore because of that. You've got to cut things out of your daily, or excuse me, your monthly budgets because of your daily costs skyrocketing. And he's going to tell us, boy, you were, you're lucky to have me. You know, that last administration, did you know how bad they were? That last administration uh, gave up more jobs, lost more jobs since any administration since Hoover. And their failed trickle-down economics hurt the middle class. I am middle class, Joe. I am middle class. And my life had not been as, how do I want to phrase that? I don't want to say it's good. Um I was doing better with and for my family during the first three and a half years of the Trump administration than at any time since I've had a family. Middle-class Americans had lower taxes under Trump. They had lower prices under Trump. They had better jobs under Trump. They had more jobs under Trump. Every demographic succeeded under Trump. Black Americans, Hispanic Americans, female Americans. Yes, they exist. Ain't but two genders. Ain't but two genders. Um... Uh, disabled Americans, every category did better under Trump. We are all middle class, and we all did better until left-wing governors said, COVID, oh my gosh, shut down the country. And that was not Trump's decision. Those were the decisions of governors in every state, including ours. Left-wing Republican Mike DeWine. TJ, thanks for that call. We'll come right back on Always Right Radio AM 1420, The Answer. So I spoke with uh, Dr. Everett Piper last hour. If you missed that, you'll have to catch it on the podcast. Dr. Piper is terrific. But take a look at the podcast, which you can, of course, take a listen to it, rather, when it's up. It'll be up at whkradio.com and also shared on alwaysright.us. So we were talking about women and how women have essentially been um, erased by the American left. What a woman is is no longer important. As a matter of fact, a woman cannot be defined. Matt Walsh did an entire movie, a documentary movie called What is a Woman? He's asking every leftist that is pushing the trans agenda, what is a woman? And none of them will answer it. None of them can answer it. And it's it's essentially erasing what it means to be a woman. Calling a female a birthing person literally is the most insulting, degrading thing that you can do. Calling them a person who can get pregnant, calling them a person you know who has a vagina, calling them a person who has a uterus, it just defining them by their biological functions and rather than than what makes them female is just so degrading. But we're talking about how dangerous that trans agenda is for women, but we're also talking about how dangerous it is for the rest of us, that we have to put up with things like this, that we have to accept a male who says, nope, call me 
you know, if, if John says, call me Jane, because he feels like that, and use pronouns that he makes up out of thin air, uh, and, and we're supposed to remember his and everyone else's, it, it opens the door to the rest of the psychological delusion uh, that exists out there, particularly in today's American youth. And that's why we get things like this. Hi, my name is Cameron, and I'm a member of our DID system. So Avery and I are both birds. I am a cardinal, and Avery is a blue jay. We like AM air pronouns in particular because they feel even further removed from gender than they than theirs. And being birds, while we do have um, our own gender expression, we don't inherently have a gender at all. And not in the way that, like, we're just non-binary. It's that, like, our species as, like, an avian-human hybrid does not inherently have any kind of gender at all. So you use them just like singular pronouns, like he, him, or she, her. Uh, Spelling and pronunciation-wise, it's like they, them, theirs without the TH at the beginning. So the best way I think to practice is to write out um, a couple of short sentences using like he, him, his, and himself, and then go back through and erase all of those pronouns and fill them in with a, m, air, air, self. I'd like to respond to that, but instead I have to go practice writing down the pronouns that these avian human hybrids want me to. So you practice too, and we'll be right back. Spreading the light of liberty and holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. 11.37, final segment of Always Write Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Look at an Instagram uh, post that I found yesterday that I went ahead and shared on my Truth Social page and on my Facebook uh, page. Find, follow me on Truth Social at uh, Always Right WHK and find me on Facebook at Always Right 1420. I believe that's the way they are. And uh, this Instagram post is from a girl who's got two pictures, <clears throat> excuse me, a lady who's got two pictures of herself posted. The first one is her as a younger girl. Looks to be probably 10, maybe. And she's in a football uniform. She's at a team. It's in a, it's an individual picture of her team that she played on a football team. She's number 44. She got the ball tucked. She's posing for a picture. Next to that picture is her as an adult. And she is wearing what looks to be a miniskirt, a crop top, and she's having a drink, and she's beautiful, and she's lounging on a boat. And the caption that she gave for these two pictures is reads as follows. From age ages 4 to 12, I wore boy clothes, played boy sports, and rejected all things girly. When my brother teased me for being a girl... I apologize, this is such small font as I try to read this. Uh, When my brother teased me for being a girl, I even said that when I got older, I would, quote, cut my boobs off. I was not transgender. I just idolized my brother. Thank God my parents were sane. 
right? She, like so many others, uh, was a tomboy. She didn't like girly stuff, like boy stuff, like playing in the dirt, playing football, wrestling, roughhousing. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, that would be exactly that. She's a tomboy. And as soon as she hits puberty, she's going to grow out of that, probably, and start wearing dresses and doing makeup and all the other things because she's going through a phase. Likewise, there are boys who don't like the aggressive stuff, who don't play baseball or football or basketball or wrestle. They're young boys, and they like you know maybe playing with, uh, with, with girl stuff, maybe playing with dolls. Maybe just isn't into the traditional boy, aggressive type things. 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, that would be just a phase. Eventually, he's going to just be a normal boy like everybody else. Today, those kids would be forced to take puberty blockers. Today, those kids would be encouraged by teachers, by media, and other influential figures on social media to acknowledge their transgenderism. You're not really a girl. If you like playing football, just change your name to Sam, and and, and let's get on with it. Mom and Dad will understand. This is what goes on. Kids are convinced to be something that they're not because they're going through a phase. I think Bill Maher, and I played this clip for you on this program a few weeks ago, said it very well. He said when he was a kid, he wanted to be a pirate. Thank God that his parents didn't schedule him for eye removal surgery and a prosthetic peg leg to be put on because that would be pretty bad to do to a kid who's going through a phase well kids go through phases like these all the time and parents are now making it permanent through chemical castration chemical puberty blocking and then physical mutilation because their kid at age eight knows what they want to be for the rest of their lives And that has given rise to what I played for you right before the break. That has given rise because we have to accept these children and their fantasies as being reality. And if we don't, we're the bigots. We're getting canceled. We'll lose our jobs if you misgender somebody or intentionally use the wrong pronouns. If I don't call this freak who says that she's a cardinal and her best friend is a blue jay and they're avian human hybrids and they go by A and M and air pronouns, if I don't go along with their fantasy, I'm fired. I'm written up by human resources. I'm fired from school if I'm a teacher. I'm disciplined and suspended if I'm a fellow student, if I don't go along with their fantasies. We like AM air pronouns in particular because they feel even further removed from gender than they than theirs. And being birds, while we do have um, our own gender expression, we don't inherently have a gender at all. Not just non-binary, which is psychologically delusional enough by saying I'm not I'm neither boy nor girl nor girl I'm neither male nor female I'm non-binary I'm whatever I feel like at that moment that that's delusional enough it is also just an attention getting trend enough but now it's that's not enough for her I, I'm, I'm we're not just non-binary we are not humans we are birds and if you refer to us in any human way instead of an avian way 
well, then you are going to be in trouble, and that's reality. This is what they're doing. They're doing it with canines, felines, that's dogs and cats in case you don't know. They're doing it with birds. Whatever weird, trendy, I'm not what I was born as that they can come up with, they will demand that you follow, and if you don't, you're canceled from your job, your school, your position, whatever. You're you're gonna you're gonna one is gonna be shamed online for daring to misgender and and uh, mispronoun somebody. This cannot be the way. This cannot be what we what we are going forward. Sanity is going to return. Isn't it? Doesn't it have to in order for us to not go under as a society and as a culture? I want you to ponder it. Thank you for listening today. Appreciate it. Appreciate uh, our guest, Dr. Everett Piper. Catch it on podcast if you missed it at alwaysright.us. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow on Free For All Friday. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.